Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Good morning, Emmaus Road Church. I am Pastor Grace, the children's pastor at Emmaus. Pastor Andy is taking some time off, so I will be preaching today. This morning, while we are all snuggling up at home, drinking some hot cocoa, we will continue to explore the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament made up of several poems, and they are poems of lament. And that means they are poems of deep suffering and grief. Today, we are gonna focus on chapter three. It is an acrostic style poem, a type of poem where the first letters of the, uh, that follow the first letters of the alphabetical order. And the form repeats the letter, each letter three different times. So maybe you're now peeking in your Bible to see the lettered order. But here is a quick reminder that the Bible was not originally written in English. Who knew? So we don't notice this special order when we read it in English. Lamentations was originally written in Hebrew before it was translated to other languages. So the acrostic style poem goes from the letter Aleph to the letter Tav. So it follows the Hebrew Aleph Bet. The, the writer begins chapter three by sharing about deep, painful suffering. The world is in chaos and terrible things are happening. There is rejection, grief, lament. If you think about the acrostic style poem, it has a set structure, an order for the writer to follow. There is a beginning and there is an end and a structure along the way. You can't add, can't take away. So when you think about that particular structure of the poem, along with the chaos of what is lamented about in the poem, it seems a little contradictory, but maybe it also makes sense because people like to try to bring order or gain control over something when something else in their life feels totally out of control. Maybe you guys have a habit of doing this. Maybe like me, you organize stuff. Like maybe you're trying to write a sermon about Lamentations chapter three and you have no idea where to even begin or how to even say what you wanna say. And then you see this stack of construction paper all mixed up in your office and you decide to sort them by color. Or maybe you write like the author of Lamentations did. Or maybe you go outside and exercise or play a game. It's helpful to find solid ground when times feel uncertain. So we find strategies that help us feel steady and safe. In the book called Prophetic Lament, Sung Chan Ra describes that the structure of this poem is like a safe boundary for the writer to share their immense grief and pain and their suffering. It has a beginning and an end and an order to follow while they write about the chaos that's happening. Maybe the acrostic style 
is even showing us a reminder of how God brings order when things are out of control and that the disorder that is present is not the end. I'm going to read chapter three of Lamentations, verses one through 20 from the NIV. Let's be good listeners as the writer shares deep pain with us. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the writer opens up to share deep pain with the listeners and delivers us a lament that really captures the suffering. It is a personal lament, but it is also a communal lament for what the people of Jerusalem have experienced. In addition to exposing personal experiences and emotions, personal lament <clears throat> can expose the emotions and experiences of the community. The writer was not personally responsible for the sins that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. But, I, but the author has empathy with the suffering community, which connects him to them. Jerusalem pain becomes the writer's pain. And as we read through this, you probably noticed this pain is deep and excruciating. <clears throat> But Lamentations also begins to offer us a tiny bit of hope. The rest of the chapter is a significant length, so I will just be sharing some highlights from it. But maybe if you'd like to, you can take some time later to read it, read the full chapter. So I'll try to read parts that highlight what the rest is really trying to communicate to us. In verses 21 through 23, it reads, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The way this section begins after the writer 
laments is almost like, oh yeah, I almost forgot this information about God. And then shares what gives the writer hope during suffering. So maybe you can relate to this. Like sometimes um, our suffering can be so overwhelming that we forget that God is with us and that God is faithful. So remember the original language of Lamentations is Hebrew. English is not a perfect language and doesn't always capture everything as well as the Hebrew language was trying to convey, which is why it's a little bit helpful to do some studying uh, beyond our English translation. Now, this does not discount the way that God speaks to you when you read the Bible in English without looking up the original language. And it also doesn't dismiss the work that translators have done in the translations that we have in English or whatever language you read your scripture in. But it does offer us some insight to look into these things because it can clear it up because even when we're using the same language, writing back and forth to each other, we can still miss things and not always catch the full point of what somebody's trying to say. So in verse 22 is an example of this. We read about the Lord's great love. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning and the Lord's faithfulness is great. So the Hebrew word for great love is hesed. Um, and hesed is God's loving kindness or his unchanging loyalty to the covenant with his people. And though the people don't always hold up this argument or hold up this covenant, uh, God holds up his end of the covenant. So humans are inconsistent. We are unreliable and definitely we waver on things, don't we? But God still loves us. God is always loyal and faithful to us. And he does not demand our perfection or obedience for us to receive his love. Though the chapter begins with suffering and it seems like the writer is still trying to make sense of all of this, God's loving kindness is the center of this poem. The writer may feel uncertain about God's role in human suffering, which I think is a normal response when we are trying to make sense of and process tragedies and things that are happening to us that are not fair. But this has said, the loving kindness, the covenant loyalty of God gives our writer a glimmer of hope. So in this section of chapter three, that is verses 21 through 66, the book kind of takes a turn. And in verse 40, we read, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. It is a call for a corporate confession. And our speaker changes from an individual to a we. So let's not adopt the thought that suffering is caused by God because of our wrongdoings, but instead remember that there are natural consequences that happen with sin. And when we recognize sin, it should lead us to confession. Confection, confession actually seems to be a natural part of lament, doesn't it? Lament is anger and grief, confusion and pain, it is a deep expression of the brokenness and chaos and all the wrong that is happening in the world. It's all the wrong that's happening to us 
and also to others. So lament is a response to sin and evil, but lament is also helping us lean into God and into his faithfulness. So there is this recognition happening that the nation of Israel participated in corporate sin and must confess. So this is a bit, bit different than how our society tends to deal with sin, right? We tend to see sin as personal. I commit the sin, I privately confess the sin, and I feel the personal relief of the forgiveness of God. We don't usually identify as a corporate thing. So corporate sin is a sin that the whole community is involved with, intentionally or not. So I can think of some examples, maybe you can too, like animal cruelty at food sourcing farms or unregulated toxic waste that hurts the people and environment around us or poverty, ableism, racism. These are just a few in a daunting list of corporate sins in this nation. It would be so easy to just blame big business or blame lawmakers for the problems or decide, oh, that's the EPA's problem, not mine. Or I'm not a racist, other people are, but not me. And then excuse ourselves from accountability. But just as we don't neglect holding other people accountable for their wrongdoings, we need to also hold ourselves accountable. And so we need to ask ourselves, how am I personally connected to corporate sin? This is very uncomfortable to think about, right? To share an example, we can consider the abuse and mistreatment of garment workers all over the world who make clothes sold at common, commonly shopped at stores here in the United States. So what we can do to take some action and accountability is to find out where our clothes come from, who made them, what were the working conditions, maybe even we're concerned about the materials it's made of, are the workers fairly compensated? And as we lament the mistreatment of garment workers and confess this corporate sin that we can knowingly and unknowingly be a part of, we can be transformed and find ways to hold ourselves accountable, like supporting a clothing company with ethical sourcing. Remember, the writer was not personally responsible for the sins that led to Jerusalem's downfall. But empathy with the suffering community connected the writer to this community. Jerusalem's pain is the writer's pain, and their sin becomes the writer's sin. Instead of distancing ourselves from these enormous problems that seem so far outside of us, we instead connect ourselves to these sins and advocate for justice. As we confess and take responsibility for the wrongs happening in the world that we are not personally responsible for, but part of, we are transformed and renewed. Lament and confession transform us. It recognizes an evil, an evil, and helps us imagine redemption. We express our lament and we are moved to action through confession. We recognize the evil 
and we recognize our need for God's redemption. This helps us remember that God is at work in the world and has not abandoned us. God is faithful in working to make all things new. And we, the church, are a part of that work. Chapter three continues with some lamenting because pain doesn't disappear just when you say a confession. It doesn't disappear in an instant, you know? So verse 47 calls out that we have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. And then starting in verse 48, we switch back to the writer's uh, point of view, where it switches from we back to I. And it says, streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. And I, that was verses 48 through 50. I don't know if I said that. So the writer still laments, but also finds hope in the faithfulness of the Lord, who is the one who sees us in our suffering and is redeeming us. So as we face hard things and suffer and lament the terrible stuff that goes on, we can also be reminded that God is faithful to us too. While we lament, we lean into God's faithfulness. One day, everything will be made new. Our disorder will be ordered. Evil will be no more. There will be healing and restoration. And the church is part of this work in the world. How do you think you can join in this lament, confession, and action? The list of our corporate sins is daunting. But what is one that you can focus on that grabs your attention? Is there something you can do to advocate for justice in your school or your workplace or your softball team? your county, the businesses you frequent, or the earth that you live on. There is so much sadness and pain, suffering and grief and disorder in our world, but God is faithful in making all things new. The chaos will come to order. Death will be made alive. Tears will be wiped away and all the wrong things made right. So remember earlier on how we were talking about how the structure of the acrostic poem gave the writer some order to share about their pain and grief and suffering. In a way, this structure, giving structure to this chaos, does remind us of God bringing order when things are out of control. The disorder that we face now is not the end. I love how Soon Chan Ra puts it when he wrote that the church can be the living acrostic in the sea of chaos. We can lament, confess, advocate. We can join God at work in the world by joining in the work of healing and redemption. The church can bring a sense of order when things seem out of control. How can you offer hope and healing in your community? How can our church offer hope and healing in our community? How can we be like a living acrostic in a sea of chaos? Let's think about these things this week and pray and lament and confess. 
and seek action.